Welcome to another episode of Top Lines and Tales, your weekly livestock podcast. And as always, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Harbro, for their continued support. This week, we continue our series of characters in livestock. My guest this week is PJ Budler, who is a consultant, a speaker, and a cattle judge, and not just any cattle judge. He's judged 81, yes, 81 different cattle breeds in 42 countries, and in 2017, PJ became the first ever cattle judge to judge a national show in all six continents. PJ, welcome to the podcast. Andy, thank you so much for having me, and and, uh, I'm delighted to be on your podcast. As I said before um, we started recording i'm a huge fan and and i think i've listened to every one of them so far well bj i have to say that is uh, that's a compliment thank you but that is some intro there and uh, hey you're you're nowhere near my age as well how you've managed to do all these things we'll kind of find out in a minute or two how you managed to squeeze them in but let's just make a start on on, on yourself and your beginnings you're you're although you're in texas uh, folks will gather by your accent that uh, you're originally from south africa right born in south africa Yes, so we um, we moved in 2012 to Texas, but I was uh, born and raised in the Eastern Cape of South Africa, and we were fifth generation on on that farm. Um, my my family it's it's quite an interesting history. That originally Irish, and then through uh, the potato famine, had had a quick stint in Germany, and then came across to South Africa. Uh, and and I yeah, I broke that tradition in 2012 when we moved to the US. Okay, that's a, that's a big move. But uh, I believe you took a you took a full time job there as a international business manager. Would I be right? I think you've been breeding cattle before then. You breed cattle in your own right since you were a boy, uh, PJ. Yes. So at, at 15, I think uh, the the passion or obsession for cattle really happened at conception, and then. Uh, I, I took a liking to the purebred side of it, and by 15, I, I traded in some commercial Christmas present calves that my grandfather and dad had been giving me over the year, and started a Hereford herd. And uh, and then over the next uh, 17 years, developed it into into what is Bonhaven beef cattle. And did you bring um, did you bring your cattle over with you from South Africa to Texas, or did you start again? No. So I actually, um, when we moved to the US, I I didn't. I made a commitment to myself not to actually own cattle again, but but to rather play with everyone else's cattle and 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 use a, uh, I guess, a premise of of working all breeds in all countries. And to do that, there was no way I'd be able to own a cow again. So okay. it was a tough move. I miss it. I really do. But but I think if I have done anything, it, it's only because I wasn't tied down by. By having to work cars. Okay, and I, and I mentioned at the beginning, introduced you as a consultant, and as I said, uh, international business manager for Transover Genetics, uh, um, based in Iowa. I think they are. Is that the headquarters? Yes. So they're based in Iowa. Um, I joined them in 2018 as their international business manager, but they have about 53 or 54 facilities around the U.S. and then several locations internationally. So. It's a. It's been a really good move for me because it's allowed me to to spread into different regions and, and maybe in different parts of the industry that I wouldn't have before, uh, and a huge learning curve. I mean, I, I feel like I knew nothing before I joined them, and <laughs> maybe no, just a little more than nothing now. The the business offers a variety of breeding services, as as many of these businesses do. Obviously, you get involved in embryo transfer and and uh, and recording and that, and you also do cloning as well. Can you tell us tell us a little bit about how the cloning side of it uh, works? 
Yes. Yeah, so the main the main line is is IVF embryos. So I think last year, Transova made four hundred and fifty thousand embryos wow. um, across across species and, and and within beef and dairy cattle. Uh, the cloning part of it is a it's a very important part of it, and, and it's not just the cloning, but the preserving of cell lines too as an insurance policy in case you do need to clone them into the future. Okay. And before I joined Transova, Andy, to be honest, I wasn't convinced that cloning was necessary. But when when they showed me the, the main reasons why people are using this technology, um, one of them, which makes a lot of sense, is to, to build ident- genetically identical nucleus herds around the world. Uh, so, for example, if you've got a Holstein herd in Iowa, but, but you want to diversify and put one in, in China or Australia or South America, you can really put the same herd in a different place, and, and that hedges you against economic or environmental disaster, political disaster. Um, so you, you keep your, your asset intact. And the other thing, from a recreation standpoint, and I know your background is, is strong in the show cattle deal too, mm-hmm. um, one of the biggest uh, parts of the show industry in the U.S. is the steers. And between Fort Worth, Houston, and San Antonio in Texas, there, there will be, just on those three uh, steer sh- uh, shows, there'll be between 2,000 and, and 2,500 steers in each show. Mm-hmm. And the champion steer last year in Houston sold for a million. The Fort Worth steer sold for 400,000. So where cloning really comes in on them is you can clone those steers and make a bull <laughs> to make more steers. And that, that was something I hadn't really considered in the past. But So we make about 500 clones a year, um, uh, bovine clones, and then a lot of uh, 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 porcine clones. So we make medical pig models uh, for, for human, uh, human health research. And what they'll do is they'll make 100 copies of the same clone with the same disease that's similar to a human disease. And then when the researchers study on, on these, these pigs, they're basically studying the exact same pig 100 times. So they get some consistency in data. Well, I've had a couple of guys from the Rowett Institute on here before who've been involved. One was involved in the original cloning, I think, of Dolly the Sheep a while back. And they kind of said that the, the, the main reason for their cloning was something that they could do to develop uh, or to help the human species by cloning animals with certain diseases and then working out ways how to cure that. So it's obviously something that, you've, that you guys have got involved in, but also from, and I dare say this, from a greed factor when you've got a chance of breeding a calf worth a million pounds, then, uh, then why, why not? clone that's just like a, a photocopy of our money right well exactly and i think one one way in which i found the uk and the us are quite similar is they do reward uh, better genetics financially you know and, and a lot of places around the world don't you know it's more like a commodity that that gets traded sure where if you're going to get fifty thousand for a suffolk ram or you know two hundred thousand for a limousine heifer in the uk uh, cloning, cloning her makes some financial sense if it was allowed. Now, I know there, there's some disparities within the, the law when it comes to cloning across the Atlantic, but uh, that, that's the main driver of it in the US and South America. That was my, my next question, of course, and that'll be the questions I can hear some of my UK listeners screaming at this podcast going, well, it's not allowed ethically and, 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 and legally, I think, over here. I don't know the laws that, that, that surround uh, cloning anywhere in the world, let alone on, on your side, but I'm, I'm guessing that's something that is taboo and trading of cloned embryos uh, even more so. Yeah, no, absolutely not. So in the, in the UK and EU, um, you're not allowed to, uh, to clone animals or to harvest 
for milk or meat, uh, the offspring of a cloned animal. But from the second generation on, it's actually fine. So if you, if you use a, a bull whose grandfather was a clone, for example, in the UK or, or EU, they can go into the, the human food chain. Okay. I think, to be honest, I mean, if, we, if we're going to be candid, it's, it's definitely more political than ethical. Yeah. The, the ethical side of cloning gets debunked uh, immediately because it, it's, just, it's just all you're doing is you're creating an identical twin born at a different time and place. Mm -hmm. And I don't think there's anything unethical about identical twins. <laughs> Uh, I wonder if we draw the line on this or we just dig a little bit, a deep, bit deeper here, uh, PJ. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one thing I will take is your uh, qualification on this and your knowledge in this subject. And I read a paper, you, you write papers on the subject of breeding, and I wrote, read a paper of yours recently, and you certainly uh, sound like you do know your business and, and, and the fact that you've traveled as well. I mean, it's, you're not just US and, and, and America. You've traveled the world, and, and we'll go on to maybe where you've judged in a minute, but I think you've been in something like 103 different countries countries would that be right pj that's ridiculous it is ridiculous I, and I, i'm glad you said that because i don't wear that as a badge of honor it's more <laughs> it's, 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 uh, it's it's more punishment for my obsession i think but um yeah and i think honestly what i've found is is that i, I don't know if, how familiar you are with gerald durrell and, and, and lawrence durrell the the writers mm -hmm. and, and the but there's one thing that Lawrence Durrell once wrote, and, and he said that the world is a book, and if you haven't traveled, you've only read the first page. And that's, that really stuck with me. And I found, honestly, in terms of education, uh, if, if there is any qualification I have, it has been through seeing different things in different places, because that just broadens your horizons to a point where you, you you've quickly realize how little you know and how little you can know. And, uh, and then soon after that, you realize that there's many different ways to skin a cat. You know? And um, uh, I, I'm grateful for all the long trips and the uncomfortable trips and the jet lag and exhaustion because I, I feel like it's, it's given me a perspective on things where you realize, like I said, just how incompetent and how little you actually know. <laughs> well, you obviously aren't incompetent. And when it comes to cattle, we mentioned at the top of the show, and I'll say it again for those people that didn't actually believe the figures that I said, that you've judged 81 different breeds of cattle in 42 different countries. Are there really 81 breeds of cattle? I didn't know there were. Oh, there's, there's, I think there's closer to 1,000. You know, um, when, once you get into, into your non-traditional countries that, that we aren't aware of, and they've all got their own domestic breeds and... And uh, yeah, it, if there's, there's a lot of them. There's still a lot, a lot more to be done, uh, Andy. Mm -hmm. So they're still breed, their breeds are still evolving, I suppose, and you're being involved in a little bit of that. And I mentioned also that you judged on six continents. That includes Antarctica, right? Have they got cattle in Antarctica? Have we been there? No, Antarctica is the seventh. I actually, okay. I, I think that's one one country I would, uh, one continent I'd have to turn down because <laughs> structural soundness of penguins isn't really my my forte. <laughs> Uh, brilliant and you've judged a national show in in six continents as i said and are we talking major breeds here or all the major breeds? i mean 81 cattle okay some of those will go down into dare i say minor breeds or hybrids of breeds but uh, we're talking major breeds in these six continents yeah so i think uh, on all over the world your major breeds are still prominent everywhere so if you take your your british breeds angus and hereford are, are prominent on all six continents extremely prominent on all six continents. Then your continental breeds, Limousin, and Charolais and Simmental are, are prominent on, on all six continents. And then your heat tolerant breeds outside of Europe, uh, Brahmin, 
uh, Brangus and and Bradford Beefmaster are prominent on every continent. So you, when when you get into your non-traditional countries within those continents, then you start getting variations of breeds that, that maybe most people wouldn't be aware of. But for the most part, those those prominent breeds have been, become prominent for a reason. They're obviously doing the right things the right way in most places for most people. And I think that's so it's not that foreign when you get, for example, uh, you go to Kazakhstan and you show an Angus and Hereford, you just dig two or three generations back and you're familiar with the pedigrees. Okay. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, our, our, our pedigree cattle world is, is, is a lot smaller than we'd like to think. Okay, and obviously we're all, I, I would like to say, in the beef business, we're all after the same aim, really, commercially. We're looking for, in the same direction, we're looking for carcass yield and, and, and profit. I know it's, yeah, the carcass varies, from again, from continent to continent, but uh, it's about yield and profit, isn't it, from, from all beef, beef animals. But as you said, the diversification in different continents will give them a different identity with regards to, to, to how they're going to survive in that, in, that, uh, in that location. Yeah, I mean, for me, adaptability has always been the main driver and the reason that that stuck with me you know from a young uh, a young boy was after high school I actually spent a year in Scotland working and I just moved from warm South Africa where we just had our national Hereford show to a Hereford and Angus place in Stranraer in Scotland where where there was snow on the ground and it rained every day of the year and and I, I soon realized that this is going to take a different animal, you know, <laughs> and, and it, adaptability got stuck in my head. And I realized that it, if, if animals aren't adapted, they, they'll never express their, their genetic ability. So you, you almost before you even start looking at any other trait, it's whether that animal's adapted to its environment or not. Okay. Yeah, perfect, perfect, perfect to answer that. And to, to, uh, just while we record now, you'll they'll be pleased to know that there is snow on the ground in Stranraer around here in Fife as well. In fact, I'm right on the beach and there's, there's ice on the beach at the moment. So we're into winter already. My you guys goodness, don't, you don't yeah. get, you won't get that where you live, but I'm sure you've experienced it. In, in well, we, we had tornado sirens this morning okay. and then and then rain following it. So, yeah, I'll... I'd, I'd actually take snow over there yes, for sure. Yes, <laughs> possibly so. Possibly so. And can I ask where that was at in Stranra? Are we talking pedigree breeders that we would know here? Would you divulge that? Yeah. Who's been giving you an education? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So it was John Douglas, um, Irby Herefords, and they had an Angus herd and a Texel uh, sheep flock as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, after that, they went into Romney's after I left. But it was a tremendous learning experience. So I learned. Uh, intensive farming, well, more intensive than we were used to. I know John Douglas is pretty extensive when it comes to the UK. Uh, and then the other thing I learned is how to use a shovel. And it was something that in South Africa we weren't really blessed with, with that uh, skill. Uh, we had too much labor going around. So I, I feel like I mastered the use of a shovel while I was in Stranraer. <laughs> a good education for a young man, for any young man, I would say. And uh, as you said, you're st- there straight out of high school and, and, uh, and a great thing to learn. And obviously you've, you've worked in various parts of the world, I can imagine, and been in various um, parts of the world. And it, is the UK different to anywhere else? I mean, there obviously are countries with wetter climates, but uh, with the UK, and I know it's generally certainly in the show ring different to the US, but is, is there other parts in the world that, 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 uh, that you would say is, is it similar to UK? Or- um, I think the UK is quite unique and, and there, there are various reasons for it. I, I, if there is a, 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 a country that, that is similar to the UK, I think it would be Denmark can get quite similar in terms of climate and the type of animals type of management practices. 
And then obviously the Republic of Ireland is similar enough. I mean, it's slightly different in terms of what type of animals they look for, but, but it's similar enough. And I think the, for me, whenever I come to the UK, the, the first thing you're struck with is just the tradition and the history and the stockmanship. I mean, these guys are, this is centuries of stockmanship built into the breeders in the UK. And there's, there's really a, there's a, a long pedigree w within the people there. And, and you, 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 you tread lightly because, you, you know, who's a, <laughs> who's a young boy from the mountains of South Africa to, to come and tell them anything. Um, one, one thing that, that also makes the UK quite different is the, the, in recent times anyway, the last 20, 25 years, is this drive towards larger framed, heavier muscled cattle, which I understand the background of why it needed to happen and with the EU grading system and the size of the Holstein cow and, and, and all that and getting these cattle to be able to breed them. But uh, it is unique, you know, um, around the world, you, you just don't see that. Uh, e even on the continent, continent of Europe, you don't see that now. Um, it, it's really a, a UK phenomenon. Um, and, and the other thing is I, why I find this fascinating, having judged in the UK and Ireland a few times, but also running this champion of the world competition, it, it's exacerbated by the pho photography style in the, in, in the UK too. So not only are these cattle a good size and shape, but then they, you, know, you have your photographers lying on their bellies shooting up at them to make them look even bigger. <laughs> so so when you, and this is the irony of it. I judged Palermo down in Argentina in July and you know, you've got these pregnant two-year-old heifers that weigh 800 kilos in Palermo and Honestly, in the UK, then they're not too different in size, but but the the Argentinians are shooting down at them, and you know, in Britain, you're shooting up at uh, up from the ground up, so <laughs> you, you 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 make them look like totally different bovines. Where if they were run in the same place at the same time, there are some differences in body type and maturity pattern, but they're not as different as, as maybe the pictures make them off to be. Yeah, I think we, Catherine McGregor, if you're listening, you're probably the one that started, the, started this one going there from, uh, from Alan Fold, of course, from the great breeders there as well. Um, but, but going on to the, or sticking, if you like, with the show cattle, and we'll go on to your champions in the world in, in a second, but sticking with the, with the cattle, we know, and I think it's discussed regularly on this podcast and other podcasts for that matter, that the show cattle aren't generally the same as the commercial cattle in, in, in any country, and, and there's always a danger of the show ring breed going down a, a cul-de-sac which uh, doesn't represent the, the breed across the nation and that's, I'm pretty sure that's the same in, in the US as it is in the UK and, and, and various other parts of the world as well. Yeah and it's dangerous so if, if, I've, if I'm going to do anything with, with cattle judging I am going to stick to the label I've been given and that's been a contrarian and maybe an outlier in, in terms of how I evaluate show cattle and I believe that that divorce that happened between the showing and the and the purebred uh, and the and the commercial industry is something that that can be fixed and, and isn't a necessary divorce. Like so, I mean, without sounding ridiculous, if if I could act like a, a therapist and bring those two parties back together again, I think it it'll do make it do wonders for the longevity of of the showing and the cattle industry and bring the commercial guys back to watching shows again because. At the moment, there's such a difference between those within the US and the UK, the difference between the, the cattle that, that you'll see at shows and, and out in the pasture. Uh, and it doesn't need to be like that. It, it really, really doesn't. So maybe 
if I've got a few blood noses and black eyes after shows in the past, it's because I've maybe selected commercial cattle in the show ring, if that makes sense. Yeah, you know, the brave man to do that, as, you, as we all know, the show is a hard-fought hard fought battlefield in itself. But some of that, of course, can be blamed to the stockman. I was a stockman bringing out cattle, you know, going back a long way, and, and, and the way you guys dress the cattle there, the way we dress the cattle here. Some of that can be attributed to that, and as you said, the photographer as well. But there definitely still is that uh, that divide. And if you're if you're in the ring there picking out the animals that will function commercially, then, then good on you, PJ, because that's kind of that's what the market needs. Well, and I think selfishly, I want to be doing this for, you know, another 20, 30 years. And, and there's, I feel like there's a danger of not being there for me to do if, if we remain divorced from each other. Yeah, that's okay. That's fair enough. Because another twenty years, you'll be up there with Tom Burke when it comes to to, to miles in the air there. But uh, you might have exceeded Tom already. To be fair, I'm sure you know. No, that. no, no. Uh, Tom, Tom is a lot better than me at recording his miles. Okay. Uh, I've yeah, I, I always forget to log mine. So if you if I if you ask for receipts of how much I've travelled, I've got nothing to show you. <laughs> you just have to take my word for it. <laughs> oh, well, you're, you're a better man than me anyway. I mean, I travel backwards and forwards to France four or five times a year and think I've done a fair bit. I mean, that's not even the distance you guys go to get a get a, a cup of coffee from the grocery store in, in comparison. But Yeah, it, it is wild. Let, let, let's move on. You touched briefly, we mentioned the champions of the world, and I think this is your baby, really, so we'll hear a bit more about this. And this, the timing of this episode is perfect because the, the champions of the world competition is just about finished. And I think you said you, you kind of wrapped up last night at midnight, and that's you, that's you released from that for another year yeah so it is my baby and and you know what's i had no idea that it would become like this so we this is the 11th year we've done it Mm -hmm. and i actually started it when i was still in south africa and it was a conversation i'd had with a friend of mine in the u.s who's still a great friend of mine wade perks robert wilson from scotland Mm -hmm. uh, argentinian friend of mine seraphim sichero and, uh, and then a South African friend of mine who I used uh, to, to consult in some of our herds. And we just had the discussion around, wouldn't it be nice to see all these national champions from around the world just profile together, just as a thought experiment to an exercise of just why not, you know, just see it. And, uh, and what I didn't realize is uh, 11 years later, now I've got a tiger by the tail that I, I just can't let go. The South Americans have, they really treat this like a football World Cup. And uh, I must say the UK and Ireland have really jumped on board and, and, and have been supportive and, and the Canadians and Australians, South Africans. So it's really, it's really become something that I never imagined. And, and the irony of it is it's probably as unscientific a method possible to, to, to pick a world champion. But as of today, it's really the only way, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I keep having to, to try and caution people that this is – like this is really just a, a way of profiling breeds and families of breeds around the world. Uh, don't take this to the bank. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely right. And maybe we'll get on to see if, if there are other ways of expanding this further in a second. But I think it is fantastic that it is international. And I mean, a lot of people criticize the, the Americans by saying their, their World Series baseball is only played by Americans. But you really have pulled out the stops and gone everywhere in the world. And, and, and your list of judges as well are, you know, are extremely qualified and extremely international. And, when you, and, you, and you profile on each one of the. And we'll, we'll maybe talk about some of the, the winners this year in a second. But you profile the judges on each one saying these judges uh, 
these are the following judges and this is what they what they voted for so we're getting it's getting an interesting understanding or i get an interesting understanding from it how uh, how we or how different people actually see other people's cattle well that that's fascinating to me and during those two weeks i have no idea what's going on because it's literally i don't move from my desk for two weeks and really hardly sleep or eat but when i have a look at it afterwards it, it is fascinating to see how different people see livestock and and uh, and i think that for the most part the the judges that we use and, and we try and use it as variety as a, a big variety of, of judges and countries as possible each year and we rotate it through the continents just so we never get the same scenario twice okay. but but uh they for the most part when you follow how they evaluate these guys are doing a a, a pretty honest job and they're putting a lot of work into it too in, in, in looking through all the entries because uh, what I was afraid of at first was they're just going to pick their friends, you know, but what the way we've structured it is there's not too much opportunity to do that. And, and as you go through the rounds and eventually because there's four judges on each class, even if you do pick your friend, it's going to balance out. Yeah. Um, well, let's just go anyway. back to the nuts and bolts of this, PJ. I mean, roughly how many classes are we looking at per breed? Roughly how many breeds are we looking at? And roughly how many classifications are we looking at when they judge the animals themselves? So let's just go back to the beginning. How, 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 how is this structured? How is it set up? So, Andy, there's, there's 16 breeds, of which the 16th one is, is other registered breeds. So okay. all the other breeds are thrown into, into one, and that's the 16th one. Okay. Um, the... Within each breed, there are four regions. So North America is one region, Europe's one region, Asia, Africa, Australia is thrown into one region, and then South America is one. Okay, region. that's how we work. Okay, right. And and with within um, those breeds, so there's four regions, and like a show, they act as four different divisions. Mm-hmm. And then your your champion of the world or Miss World is 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 the winners from those four regions come up against each other for for champion of the world. Now the way we pick the judges is. Uh, let's just pick, uh, say, Charolais, for example, and in Europe, is we rotate those judges throughout the, the European countries. And, and what we've done in the past is we've gone one British Isles judge and then one continental Europe judge and, 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 and go back and forth and then change out which country in the British Isles that judge would come from and which country on the continent they'd come from. And then we're doing the same in every continent. So by the time the next year rolls around, it's, it's going to be different judges from different countries, 100% different to what it was the year before. Okay, okay, that, that yeah. sounds, sense, and it also sounds particularly fair. And, and you say Miss World, but there's males in this, there's bulls in this as well, aren't there? So it's not just... So Miss World is the females, and then Champion of the World is, is the bulls. Champion of the World is the bulls, so the, the Miss World doesn't yeah. go up against the... She doesn't get a crack at, the, at going at the bulls for, for the, for the one Only... No, so only what we do after Christmas from the 27th to the 1st is we, this is the sixth year of doing it now. And uh, what you'll notice is the way that you and I say sixth gets laughed at in the US because they, they, they say sixth, which I, I, just, I just can't get my tongue around that. But the, 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 so this is the sixth year we're doing this and it's what we call All Breeds World Supreme. So it's the 16 world champion bulls and the 16 Miss Worlds. And they come into a bracket which is drawn randomly, and each day uh, 16 becomes, uh, I mean, 32 becomes 16 the next day, 8, 4, 2. And on New Year's Day, we crown the 2023 All Breeds World Supreme. Okay. So, so what, and, 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 and where this has really become exciting is so the Fort Worth Stock Show and Rodeo in Texas 
hosts the, the Hereford champions from all the regions each year. And the Houston Livestock Show, which is the biggest livestock show in the world, hosts all the tropically adapted breeds champions each year and gives out awards and prizes and rodeo events and all that. Yeah, and then Farm Fair International in Canada does the same for all the British and European breeds. And uh, this has been great to, to give these winners for two reasons. One is to give them some exposure and, and, and get them awarded their, their awards in front of an international crowd. And the second thing is the most exciting thing for me has been watching all these leaders within their breeds and regions interact together and do some business. That's been fun to watch. Sure. And that, that's the, the object of any exercise. And let's, let's face it, the original object of the show ring and probably still should be to this day that it should be, business should be done. And, and, and you mentioned the judges. I'm just going to highlight just a few of, of the judges, that, that I, names that I recognize from this. And our listeners in the UK will recognize. We've got the likes of uh, Jim Goldie. We've got Willie McLaren, uh, Jonathan Watson. We've got Bernard Dell from Germany with the Angus. These, these, are, you know, these are top guys in, in their game. So you are pulling, out, pulling very much from the top draw to, to get, these, uh, get these guys involved. And, and I wouldn't... I wouldn't imagine they would take it lightly once they say agreed to do it, or, or and there must be some that probably haven't agreed to do it. No, well, yeah, I'm very humbled by by these guys all agreeing to do it because because they get paid nothing, mm-hmm. and and uh, and it is a bit of pressure. And also, you know, if they don't use their their countrymen or friends, you know, there's a bit of of social risk there too. I don't I don't actually ask any of these judges if they want to do it. I just list them and tell them they're doing it. <laughs> And, uh, and I, uh, in, in 11 years, uh, four judges per breed, 16 breeds, I haven't had one turn me down yet. So I don't know if they, uh, if they feel sorry for me as an African refugee or what it is, but they all, they all do the job very, very well for me. So I appreciate it. <laughs> no, brilliant. And, and some of the winners, and you can go through a few. I've picked a couple out. I saw this morning the Belted Galloway were won by a heifer from uh, Jason Wehrman. I saw that heifer myself at the Great Yorkshire Show, and she's one of the finest beasts I think I saw all year. So she's been picked out. Yeah, she's, she's, she's a gorgeous heifer, isn't she? Absolutely. So, so that I, 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 heifer, tried, I tried to buy her that day, my wife, for Christmas, but uh, Jason said I couldn't afford her, and he's probably right. To be fair, well, you should you should try now, and then you'll get to come to Farm Fair International in in uh, November and, and and receive your award up there. Okay, now's it now's as good a time as ever to buy it. Okay. <laughs> and uh, and I see uh, Boomer Birch is another one I think has been involved in the last couple of years, and you'll know Boomer, I'm sure Boomer and Millie now through the through the Herefords, and again they're in in the winning tickets. And d- d- just list a few of, of who has won what and and and. And in what sections? In the major sections, maybe we can, and, and tell people where we can find these winners. So uh, let, let's focus. I think let's focus on on the European winners because you know most of your listenership is is from Europe. Half, half this, of it. Half of it. Okay. Okay. Well, well, that's that's great. I mean, I'm one of the other half for sure. Um, the the Europeans that did really well this year was that belted Galloway heifer, and then the Wagyu bull from. Uh, from Germany, he was he was champion of the world. Okay. The Irish did really well in the European competition. They they won the Limousin, Charolais, and the Simmentals, mm-hmm. um, which was which was interesting because uh, there definitely seemed to be a, a liking for that type of cattle yeah. from the from the international judges. Another one I want to highlight is the the Pold Hereford bull that won champion of Europe. Uh, I know he did a tremendous amount of winning all year, and that was a nice way to. To, to cap that off with with that champion of Europe, and remind me who that was. Him. Remind me who that was. His name, uh, Spartan Typhoon, uh, is is his name, or Spartan One Typhoon is, is how they how they would call him. Um, 
and and then the the other interesting thing, and this is where this, these global judging panels become interesting, is the champion Angus Bull is is a Dun Louise Bull, okay. and these these uh, Dun Louise uh, native origin Angus cattle have, have got such popularity in pockets in the U.S. and South America and Australia now that uh, it's it's a type that is that seems to be catching the attention of of a, of a lot of breeders. So it, it's a scenario where that. They, they get drafted into the competition along with the original population Herefords. Uh, and, and, and so there's an exception made for them okay. where they don't have to be show winners, okay. but they, they actually do very well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they get, and I, I just felt because it's an exercise of profiling the families of breeds. So like with Angus, we, we, we include red Angus, we include uh, the, the Aberdeen, the black Angus, and then we also include these native origin Angus. And we do the same with Simmental. You'll see their black ones and their beef type and your purpose type, and they're all thrown together. And, uh, and, and so what comes out is, is really a, a representative of the, the entire family of breeds, not just that uh, that's breed that's specific to that one country. That's interesting that you, that you do um, bring the, the, the traditional type Angus that uh, Jordi Sutra has done so much to promote and, and do, as you said, doing fantastically well within the States. And likewise with the Herefords, we've had a, on one of our podcasts a little discussion, should I say, on our, on our Facebook uh, forum where people are saying, well, you know, those aren't real Herefords because they don't go back this way and that way. So to, to give them a shot at it as well, gives, I'm sure it's, you know, it helps everybody get a, get a slice of this pie, which is fantastic. Yeah, and I think the biggest thing is, is to firstly create awareness. I mean, I'd like to use this as an educational tool of showing farmers in general and, and, and ranchers or, or, or livestock people, we're so busy doing what we do on our side of the farm gate that there's really no time to think about a country like Estonia, never, never mind the fact that they might have good cattle. And so this becomes like an, a, a tool for education and awareness and then the second thing is, like we discussed before, is just create goodwill between these breeders. I, I really get a kick out of seeing breed leaders and thought leaders within the industry come together and where they would never would have met each other before, but he has an opportunity for them to, to meet and converse and hopefully do business. Um, and, then, and then that leads to trade. You know, people trade with people that they know. So those are the real objectives of this okay uh, of this competition okay, a brilliant competition it is as i said and people can find it on on your facebook page and some of them are listed on our on our top lines and tails facebook page and look for champions of the world and you'll see all these pieces let's just move that aside a little bit i mean the world is moving as well you know much more towards figures a little bit away from the phenotype and more into to the into the the, the figures especially the guys that aren't in the show ring and obviously some of the figures in the show ring aren't quite matching up the, or sometimes aren't quite matching up uh, the same and there's one or two people have been on here said i'm not going to have one guy tell me how to run my business in the middle of a ring so I don't show my cattle anymore. It, it, it's a, not an antagonism, but I mean, is, is there, is there, has there been any analysis done? Has it, I mean, the animals have obviously won their shows in their relevant places before they've got this far. Has there been any analysis done as how this works for figures? I mean, figures now are getting across the world, and certainly in some of the big databases now that you can trade animals from one, one breed to another. Is, is there any of, this, any of this in the future? Um. Let, let's take two steps back. The, the, the first thing is the reason why it's such a simple competition in terms of a show profile picture, name of animal, name of breeder, uh, is, is because there are 93 countries involved in it now. So if we moved it towards including EBVs or EPDs or indexes, uh, we'd probably 
take 93 back down to maybe 20. And then it, then it becomes like the World Series baseball. Okay. Like it's not really a World Cup. You know? okay. So th that's, that's the one reason. Um, the, the other reason is, uh, and, and this is my firm belief, is I don't believe that there is such a thing as a good or a bad EPD or EBV. It depends on what your objectives are, right? So, so judging one EPD or EBV against another, uh, and I, I've had these debates, I've been flown to Canada to have these debates about EPDs and EBVs, and, and that's where I got labeled a contrarian, is, um, is why is top 1% good? Okay. You know, it, it depends. <laughs> it depends on what you want, you know. If, if you're in West Texas and you get 12 inches of rain a year, the, the worst possible thing you could have is top 1% for milk because none of your heifers will ever get back in calf. So, so that's where those, those I mean, and, and this is really a, a discussion for, for another day, but we might need a, a, like a 24-hour podcast cost on <laughs> I this. I just get everybody on and let's have a shout about it because there, there will be some differences of opinions on this. And as you said, oh. there are controversial opinions as well. But this is interesting, interesting dialogue from a man, I believe, that knows a lot about cattle. So I'll let you carry on. Well, and I think the, the, the big thing on it is that when it was designed, EPDs and EBBs, when they were designed, the very premise of it is a Rolls Royce. I mean, it really, really makes a lot of sense. If, if you consider that, that uh, or use the premise that everyone is measuring everything all the time, accurately, honestly, in large numbers and in the same environment, then it's a Rolls Royce, okay? But you know, because you know um, as many producers as anyone, that that's not, that's not always the case, okay? So, so what, you, what you get then is a Rolls Royce whose driver either doesn't have a license in terms of some of the marketing companies or he's just intoxicated. And you can't have an intoxicated driver of a Rolls-Royce. It's just never going to end well. And I think with, with uh, EPDs and EBVs, if, if they're used in context and they're introduced into your breeding uh, philosophy and policies with a little bit of nuance and, 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 uh, and, and you use it as, as a tool where you're, not, where you're not screwing in screws with a hammer, but you're knocking nails in with a hammer, then I think it's incredibly useful. But if you, if you start selecting cattle with a computer, it's just a show on its own then. I mean, then it becomes a, a number show. Yeah. So then you, you create what I call paper tigers. So on the one side, you've got these paper tigers that are amazing on paper, but like you wouldn't dare look at them on grass. And then on the other side, you've got your show ponies, you know, that, 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 are, that are really only, only good in the show ring. And again, I think we, we need to bring it back to a balance where, where it's, it's little bit, bits, of piece, uh, bits and pieces that you use within context to cr try and move these genetics forward. Uh, my concern, Andy, is that as religious and dogmatic as people get about breeds or certain types of animals within breeds, this, this EPD and EBV and genomically enhanced EPD and EBV phenomenon has become a little religion of its own. And, and it, it's clear what the driver is. It's, 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 it's economies, right? These these genetic companies need to make serious money. So what, what they did, which was brilliant in the beginning, is, is develop a machine, an algorithm that, that can uh, have a best, a best prediction or estimation of how an animal's offspring uh, will, will perform to where they're saying now that they could, they could uh, take hair samples from your commercial heifers that you've got no sire and dam information on and then tell you how they're going to breed. Um, some things are unknowable. They are. Like, you can't know everything. 
and unfortunately, and, and I've done physical exercises on those heifers that, that, that got uh, genomically enhanced EPDs brought back on in those commercial heifers with no sign dam information. And the, what was on paper and what was in the pen, and it was 100 heifers, the, the ones that, that did match up to their numbers was the same as a broken clock that's right twice a day. I mean, they, they had to. Like just statistically, they had to be right sometimes. But for most of the part, they were, I mean, they were way, way out at sea. Okay. That's, a, that's a, a fantastic, a few fantastic analogies that you've put in there. But obviously, as a showman, again, on, on the, my, my, one of my listeners out there, someone will be saying, well, as a showman, then, then you're always interested in what an animal looks like rather than what it can produce. But I mean, the whole idea of an EPD is that it can produce an animal without looking great as long as it can produce a carcass, goes back to the sort of carcass and, and profit side of it. And what would you say to those guys? So, uh, so that's a great point, but it, it's it's not. I don't I don't I don't subscribe to that school of thought, and I, and I'll tell you two reasons why. The first one is, um, what what can you not see when you look at an animal? So let let's take for, uh, fertility for example. We were taught right through the the decades of the last century that fertility has low heritability. Okay, which is nonsense because. It's a survival trait. So in order for animals to survive, they have to reproduce. So it has to be highly heritable. Okay. So, if, so and what, how do you get fertility? You get it two ways. The, the first way you get it is high inherent body condition. So cattle that are in better condition they, than their contemporaries in another area. We, in South Africa, we call it constitution. Uh, in the U.S., durability. But I think people understand what that means. It's just good, easy fleshing ability. And the second thing is hormonal balance. So if you want some arithmetic... I'll give it to you. Uh, hormonal balance plus high inherent body condition equals fertility. Now, Stevie Wonder can see that. You know, you, you don't need, it's like, that's, a, that's an algorithm that you can, or a, a, a mathematical sum you can see in the ring. So I think there's a lot of this that really, um, that, that really is, is there to see if you're prepared to look. You know, it, it, it's there to see in front of you. And the second thing about it is uh, the EPDs and EBVs, my argument is, is so one of the best podcasts you've had is the Lee Leachman podcast. He's one of the best conversations you can have. I, I love that guy. And, I, and, and when we started on this discussion, what I said to him is, if I was him, I would defend his database, not all databases. Because his guys do measure everything all the time, honestly, accurately, in large numbers in a similar environment. So, so, so that's, that's, a, that's a quality in, quality out database. But when, you, when, you, when you're defending all Rolls Royces, even the ones being driven by drunk people or by, by people without licenses, I think you can blemish your own, your own database that way. Now, most databases around the world just don't have the numbers or the accuracy because not everyone's doing it right. So I will put my, my eye of evaluating an animal phenotypically ahead of a, of a number prediction any day of the week if it comes from one of those random databases. So if you don't know what, what the predictability of an animal's heart's going to produce within the ring, uh, there's no way that... that that showing you two columns of numbers is, is going to give you a better idea. But, there's, but here's, here's, here's the caveat to this. If you made a lot of money in your life and you started breeding cattle in your 60s, and this is your retirement game, you will never learn how to be cow savvy or, or 
your, your cattle knowledge will never be developed in time. You just don't have enough time left. So the cheat sheet is to learn EPDs. You can do that in two hours. You can, you can learn EBVs and EPDs. So then you, then you enter that, that uh, paper tiger show and you can play and do really well at it. But to, to think that that can replace literally tens of thousands of years of knowledge built up within the cattle industry of why an animal shaped like that is going to breed a certain way. Um, yeah, it, it's, not, it's not just insulting to, to the, the, the cattle producers behind us. It, it, it's also a little bit ridiculous uh, if, you, if you really look at it. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm speechless. That's probably suppose, my only... Um slight argument of that would be that if uh, the only way you get a big database by starting with a small one so these these records have to be taken in and 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 put in accurately but i mean that's still a long way down the line when you've got a small population to. oh to no no andy i agree with you so uh, uh, you, you're not wrong so let's say for example you're in a small breed that, that that's developing numbers um that that is how you build your your, your database for sure provided everyone is measuring everything accurately honestly in large numbers in the same environment now, now we know, like our, our friends and colleagues and people we work with, we, we know enough people to know who's not doing it and who is doing it. So there are two things, like let, let's, assume, let's assume they're right. Let's assume the premise is that, that these EPDs work and they're accurate. Then there are two issues for me. The first one is that why are we publishing trait leaders? Because why is, why is a certain number better than another one? Surely we just put that objective number out there and let, let breeders decide if it fits with their objectives. So, for example, if you've got a, a red stag in your field, that's an objective fact. He's there, right? But now, subjectively, is he there because he's a trophy that you want someone to come and hunt and shoot? Or is he vermin that's eating your crop and you need to get rid of it? So, so for me, those numbers, publishing trait leaders becomes counterintuitive. And, and the, the second thing with that is, if, if a, a, a number, let's say, for example, a weaning weight EBV or EPD is 25% accuracy, surely you don't publish that. You know, surely you leave that blank and wait until it reaches a certain threshold before you publish it. Otherwise, it's like someone in Texas, I go to the supermarket and they say to me, where are you from? And I say, I'm from southeast of here, which is true. That is where I'm from. But that's a 25% accuracy. I mean, when you get to 50%, then I can sell from Africa, 75% Southern Africa. And when you get into the 90s, I can pinpoint more or less where I'm from in South Africa. But at the moment, they just like all, all those data columns full of numbers, even if it's a 15% accuracy, which is what is it telling you? Okay. Nothing. Yeah. Absolutely nothing. Okay. Okay. Right. I, I think that's been a very interesting discussion. I'm probably going to wind that one down a little bit, uh, um, only to say that you're a man who... who tra I know one thing I will just touch on for a second, and it's completely nothing to do with what we just talked about. It's the Speckle Park, and I think you've got the Speckle Park now into your world, uh, into your... They've got their own class, I believe, in the, in the, yes, in the world show. Yes. Lovely looking things. Came originally from the UK, I guess, and I seem to be a bit of interest coming in those there. Are you seeing those things? Uh, getting around the world now. Yeah, it's amazing how um, in the last few years there's, there's suddenly some traction. The Argentinians are becoming interesting, interested in them. The, the biggest cattle show in the world, the Cattlemen's Congress in Oklahoma City, next month, they're having a, a Speckle Park National for the first time. The Irish have, have, have dabbled in them. And then in Australia, they, they're really growing. New Zealand's got some good herds. So 
the the Canadians really worked hard at getting that breed moving. I mean, it's a composite of, of several different British breeds. But uh, yeah, it's been interesting to see how how quickly they've developed. I judged the Speckle Park National at Agribition in Canada last year, and I was really impressed with the quality. The carcass on those cattle and that earlier maturity pattern, a lot of body on them. Certainly look tremendous. And my only worry is they're going to turn them all black like they've done with everything else. But again, that's me maybe being controversial too. <laughs> no, no. You see, Andy, you and I are lockstep on that. You, you, you remember the... Um, the Rolling Stones song "Painted Black." <laughs> so I think when when that song played in the U.S., the cattle industry took it literally, and they thought everything needed to be black, you know. And unfortunately, on one hand, it really helped certified Angus beef mm-hmm. uh, because it it got more carcasses qualified for them into their scheme. Which just a little caveat by the side, and, and this is important for people to know. I actually mentioned this at the the Angus convention in Salt Lake City last month. I spoke there. And I said, the, the world is astounded that, that when you're eating a steak in New York City and it's a certified Angus beef steak, it could be a limousine bull onto a Jersey car. That's, I mean, that, that's, that's astounding to the world. But that aside, the other issue that that created is, um, you know, colors play a very large part in terms of adaptability of livestock. And, and black is an outstanding color for temperate regions where it's 18 degrees uh, Celsius or less uh, temperature average throughout the year or at high altitude. So if you look at all the black cattle and breeds in the world have been developed at high altitude or, or really cool climates. So what certified Angus beef did is they convinced people on the Gulf Coast and Florida and the Southeast where it's really hot and humid all year round to have black hided cows. And, and the lure they gave them was a little 10 cents a pound premium when it came to, to buying their weaned calves. But the, the losses in, incurred by those producers, because they've got a black-hided British animal in those hot, humid conditions, will, will, the, the premium will never make up for that because cattle need to be red-hided and need to be slick-coated with more skin in those climates because infrared is absorbed by black mm-hmm. as a color and red reflects it a lot better. That's the first thing. I mean, that, this, is, this is 1940s science. Basic physics, you know, I think. Is, yeah, that, exactly, basic physics. And the second thing is, from a reflection standpoint, a, a, a smooth surface reflects better than a, than a hairy surface. And the more hide an animal has, the more sweat glands it has, the more ability it has to sweat and dissipate heat. So with the, 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 everything in, in the U.S. being black, uh, is a funny side note, but it's actually something from working with producers on the ground and watching them struggle financially because their cattle aren't adapted. It's, 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 a, it's a little, um, when, when it's mentioned, it's, it's, uh, I, I become like a dog with a bone and, and, uh, I'm, I'm, and you're going to have to fight me to get it out of my mouth. As, <laughs> as you know, we get Dr. Bob on this podcast very regularly, Dr. Bob Ho, and, uh, and of course, yes. Bob, Bob was very much an ambassador or CEO, I think, of the Red Angus Society, Red Angus Association. And I think he found it, uh, it obviously was pushing water uphill when you're battling against everybody that wants to turn the animals black when he's saying, well, red is probably more suitable in certain areas. So, yeah, exactly what you say. Well, is, is well Dr. Dr. Hogue's exactly right. The, the, the fact that Red Angus to, to this day doesn't qualify for certified Angus beef is bizarre because what they could do is have Angus cattle that are red in climates that, that, that are more conducive to a red color, and um, they, they could have more Angus carcasses going through and less limousine cross-jersey carcasses. <laughs> yeah, 
That's exactly that, exactly that. And we'll move, move on from that. I did. Uh, I thought I'd just mention the speckle part, but what I will mention is that uh, you're an extremely busy guy. I thought I was busy. And you're just heading off now to uh, the other side of the world on a more, another judging tour, is that, PJ, or, or on, on a fact-finding tour? Or are you going to consult these guys? Tell us where you're going. So um, I leave tomorrow. On, on Friday, I'm judging an, uh, a Charolais Beefmaster and Brahmin show in Thailand. And then on uh, Saturday and Sunday, I'm speaking in Cambodia at their Beef Congress and judging. They, they'll have Brahmin, Beefmaster, and Indo Brazil um, cattle. And then on Monday, I'm going uh, to South Korea and I'm going to the National Honu Association. And, and Honu is, is the South Korean version of Wagyu. Okay. Like Wagyu means Japanese cow, Honu means South Korean cow or Korean cow. And they, they bred exactly the same way as Wagyu, high, high marbling, um, low-yielding cattle, but they're wanting to speak about different uh, ways of, of making their genetic decisions and, and, uh, and, and different options for, for building their database. So it's going to be a three, four quick days. Uh, four action-packed days, and hopefully I can sleep on the plane. Yeah, and get back home in time for, for family at Christmas, and I believe you've got, uh, would I be right, I think you've got two sets of twins? I know you've got a set of twins, two sets of twins? Yes, yes, I've got a, a boy and a girl that are four, and, and two girls that are that are two, and we actually move house the day I get back from from uh, South Korea, we're moving to a new house. A bigger house. Well, excuse me laughing, but that sounds like a man that's far too busy for, for his own good. You make sure that you get your priorities right. PJ, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. And, and I think by those, just by those very last comments that you cement to, to, to our listener that you are a man who knows what you're talking about when you're, when you're traveling around the world and advising a lot of people in different climates, in different countries and around the world. And uh, I'm sure you'll find yourself back in the UK in, in, in the next 12 months or so. And uh, we'll make sure that you catch up. we, we catch up. I'd love that. And, and when I'm back in the uh, UK, I'd, I'd love to, to have a, a beer or a whiskey with you, Andy. And, and, uh, and we've got so much more to chat about. I'd, I'd like to hear more about your, uh, your background. I mean, it sounds fascinating. And then um, with regards to the UK, it's, it, it is always a highlight for me to come back there. And, and, uh, and, and I don't offer too much other than I, I am uh, obsessed with the industry and, and uh, I'm passionate about it and I'm cheap and available so there we You're go. You're certainly passionate about it PJ that's very true well well, have great travels in yourself a great Christmas and uh, as I said it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and uh, a fantastic job on, on getting the starting and getting the the world uh, championships going there brilliant and I hope that goes from strength to strength with you. Andy thank you so much and happy Christmas and I uh, hope to see you soon in the new year. Cheers PJ. Thank you so much for listening to this week's fascinating episode of Top Lines and Tales. And uh, if uh, if you are listening to this in December, then I'd like to wish all your listeners a happy Christmas. And uh, I'd also like to thank our sponsors and wish them a happy Christmas to our sponsors, Harbro, who uh, who kindly support this podcast week after week. And uh, um, as we're now into the midst of winter, if you would like to speak to your local Harborough representative and uh, see just how Harborough can help you with your dietary requirements, with your livestock and the range of products that they have available um, for you. And please check out their website and their social media pages and uh, find more information about uh, about those kind sponsors, Harborough. And uh, if you are on social media, don't forget to look at our Top Lines and Tales Facebook page where you'll find a few photographs and other information to back up. Not just this episode, but uh, 
all the episodes that uh, that we have produced and uh, I think we're on to episode 108 now and just moving into our third year of Top Lines and Tales and it's only been made possible by by our sponsors and by you the listener for tuning in week on week and uh, and hopefully enjoying what we have to offer there so uh, congratulations on all of us getting through into our into our third year and uh, wishing all your listeners uh, a happy Christmas uh, this year <laughs>